Good morning and welcome to Wanda Six, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should definitely take a pause, a breath, and remember our ancestors and our great heritage and know that we are not without options. We are so excited to have on the air this morning um, Dr. Joseph L. Green, who is chairman of the 400 uh, Years of African American History Commission. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Wanda. Good to be on your program. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, well, thank you so much for fitting fitting us into your schedule because um, you all are you're so busy, um, particularly with the events of next week coming up so quickly. Oh my goodness, it's amazing that here we are in August, and you know, let's talk was just you know June nineteenth, and and there's more to come, you know, during the year. But next week is going to be really special at Fort Comfort, and uh, really excited uh, to hear from you about the you know the four hundred years of African American History Commission and your charge. Um, you know, for this this historic year, uh, I'm going to read your bio first, if that's okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Super. Um, in October 2018, Dr. Green was appointed as chair of the 400 Years of African American History Commission, authorized by Public Law 115 102, signed by President Donald Trump on January 8, 2018. The priorities of the 400 Years African American History Commission include to plan, develop, and carry out programs and activities throughout the United States to recognize and highlight the resilience and contributions of African Americans since 1619. By law, the commission was enacted to lead efforts which acknowledged the impact of slavery and laws that enforced racial discrimination had on the U.S., educate the public about the arrival of Africans in the United States, and encourage civic, patriotic, historical, educational, artistic, religious, economic, and other organizations throughout the United States. 
I think I just answered one of those questions. (laughs) (laughs) Ministry. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Green serves as senior pastor of Antioch Assembly located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He was recently commissioned as an apostle with the Heartland uh, Apostolic Prayer Network and serves as vice president of the Interdenominational Ministers Conference Incorporated of Harrisburg. In September 2016, Dr. Green launched the 2019 Movement, a national initiative aimed at racial and cultural reconciliation. He serves as facilitator of cultural intelligence training. Among other distinctions, Dr. Green is a member of the American Pastors Network. He serves on the board of advisors for Healing Tree International and as a national advisor of the Change Global Peace Initiative. Dr. Green is the Pennsylvania Director for the U.S. National Prayer Council. And his books are, or publications are, The Power of the Church, Turning the World Upside Down, From Kilos to the Kingdom, Kingdom Business, and Standing on the Rock. So again, welcome welcome to the, to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the, the time and uh, also humbled by the uh, opportunity. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I read a little bit in your bio about this charge, you know, of the uh, 400 years of African-American History Commission. So I wonder if you could sort of tell us what you've been up to and, and who's on the uh, the commission with you. And did you volunteer um, to do this? Um, do you get paid? How how is this working out uh, in you know the eighth month <laughs> of the year? <laughs> well, um, we were because um, as you stated, you know it was House Bill HR twelve forty two passed through both branches of of Congress, the uh, House of Representatives, of course, and the Senate, signed in law by the President. Uh, so it's a bipartisan bill. Uh, we have the authority of the executive and the legislative branch, uh, but we are under the oversight of the U- United States Department of the Interior. Of the interior, which is uh, their their job is to oversee uh, the actual lands of the of the United States and the cultural heritage of the country, and so I was congressionally appointed uh, uh, a congressman from. I submitted my application once I found out about the law being uh, put into place. Uh, I was uh, um, recommended by my congressman, and of course they take you through the vetting process, and then I was uh, approved and signed on. Uh, congressionally appointed and signed in law by the president. Um, and so there is a 14-member commission that um, um, that, they, that the public law uh, facilitated or, you know, created the 400-year African-American History Commission. And we have some great people, excuse me, that are members of the commission, like Dr. Lonnie Bunch, who was the um, uh, the founder of the African-American History Museum of the Smithsonian, and now Dr. Bunch has gotten uh, promoted, and he is the secretary of the entire Smithsonian Institute, which is, he's the first mm-hmm. African-American to uh, hold that title, which is an awesome, awesome, uh, you know, position for, for him. Uh, Dr. Rex Ellis was the executive director of the African-American History Museum. Uh, we have Superintendent Terry Brown, who is the superintendent of the Fort Monroe uh, historical site, where, which is where the um, actual landing point, Point Comfort, <clears throat> has been designated as the landing point of the first 20 odd Negroes, as the uh, as the historical record states uh, that landed at Point Comfort, Virginia. 
Um, we have a bunch of other people. Uh, we have Commissioner Ted Ellis, who is a uh, phenomenal artist, cultural historian. Uh, we have uh, uh, Commissioner uh, Anyawu Cox and Commissioner Kenya Cox out of Kansas. Uh, they're no, they're not related that we know. Uh, we call them the Cox girls, though, out of Kansas. Uh, great <laughs> people. We have um, uh, Hannibal Johnson, who is from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's mm-hmm. also on the um, uh, the Tulsa uh, Commemoration Commission. And as most of your, your listeners may be familiar with the whole uh, Black Wall Street or the Tulsa riots from back in 1921, uh, we have Bob Hendricks, who is the president of the uh, Negro Baseball League History Museum in uh, Kansas City. Um, we have Dr. Uh, not Dr. We have Commissioner Freeman, who is out of Omaha, Nebraska, and former uh, assistant to uh, the con- a congressman out of Nebraska. Uh, I definitely don't want to leave anybody out. We have uh, Kenneth Johnson. We have uh, George Keith Martin. Uh, both of them are out of Virginia, and uh, Mar- uh, Kenneth Johnson is a marketing uh, specialist and also on the uh, Virginia uh, Commemoration Committee, George Keith Martin as well. Uh, just phenomenal people. And uh, I want to make sure I didn't forget anybody. Uh, Louis Butts is also superintendent of the Petersburg Historical Site. And um, I believe that's it. If I forget anybody else, I'm going to mention them because if they listen to this interview and I forget to mention their name, I'm going to feel really bad. So. Yeah. I was wondering, did you, <laughs> did you mention Mr. Ron Carson? I, I don't I Ryan didn't hear Carson. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Ron Carson, who is uh, – uh, he, he also runs the uh, uh, Appalachian Cultural Center. Uh, he's out of mm-hmm. Southern Virginia as well, and he also um, has black lung clinics all over the nation. So phenomenal uh, guy, Ron Carson, and good friend of mine as well. So Mm -hmm. thank you for reminding me. His name would have popped up, but uh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, and I was just thinking, um, you know, when we think about Appalachia, I I, I didn't know black people lived there. I mean, I know they're in that vicinity, but, ah, interesting. Um, Yeah, there's actually, uh, if you you get a chance, uh, there's a cultural center down there. There's a group called the Melungeon People. And they were tri-race people, so you had natives, you had African, uh, and also European uh, culture. But there's a, a great historical um, story of them if, if you or your listeners get a chance to look up the Melungeon people. And Mr. Carson yeah. actually had shared with us that his, uh, his, his, that's part of his heritage as well. And uh, mm. so it's just such a rich history, um, you know, uh, of this nation, and the more I, I'm – working with people and finding out things. There's so many hidden treasures that we can learn from our culture and our inher- and our heritage. Yeah. How how do you spell the name of, of the uh, the people that you mentioned? Belungeon? Uh, uh-huh, I knew mm-hmm. you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Let me see. I think it's, <laughs> uh, it's M-E-L-U-N-G-E-O-N. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and did you mention, because um, there's so many, um, and I was trying to like keep track. Did you mention Mr. Ted T. Ellis? Yes, yes. Uh, tell okay. us, uh, okay. Ellis Art. Yep, out of okay. Texas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Formerly out of New Orleans. Was he? Did he relocate after Katrina or another one of the uh, hurricanes? I believe it was uh, after Katrina, or I, I think I know we had talked about this. It, it was either uh, around that time, or it might have been a little bit before that. But yes, he's uh mm-hmm. New Orleans native, and he lets us know about that often about the great rich yeah. history, uh, historical mm-hmm. history of uh, 
New Orleans, and uh, now he's in Texas, of course, in Houston. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a New Orleans native, so you know, always have to give a oh, shout okay. out. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. It's really illustrious. Um, yeah. There's no one from the West Coast um, there. Um, maybe people didn't get their applications in in time, but uh, it's really impressive. Really impressive. So, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. We have a great group of people that's part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let our audience know about you know sort of what you all have been doing. You've done some really wonderful, you know, you've had some really wonderful big, you know, national events that are continuing around this this 400 years of African American, um, you know, history uh, acknowledgement. Um, Yes, we have um, a part of what we're doing is, is is kind of a you know many aspects of what we're doing, many facets I should say. And so not only are we uh, identifying and partnering with grassroots organizations all over the country, um, and we're also planning events, but we're also partnering with organizations as well. Uh, but we met first in uh, the end of November and formed and and formed the commission. We got together, and uh, I was elected chairman by the other commissioners. Uh, which is a great honor and a privilege to be uh, there. In February, we had a couple of uh, receptions in the Museum of the Bible, and uh, you may be familiar with the Slave Bible. They had the Slave Bible uh, exhibit at that time, and uh, it's mm. supposed to be coming back very soon, but it was one of the Bibles that they used during slavery where they took out scriptures and changed scriptures in order to um, justify and perpetuate slavery. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was down there. We had a... Um, uh, reception there. We also had a reception at the African African American History Museum. Uh, but in June of uh, this year, June the 12th, we had a an event in the United States Capitol called um, "Let's Talk About Our Dream: Writing a New History." And of course, mm-hmm. most of you are familiar with the fact that the uh, U.S. Capitol building is also known as the, the building that slaves built, the house that slaves built. And so it was mm-hmm. a phenomenal event, and uh, it took place across the mall from where. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did his his famous I Have a Dream speech in the, and also in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial. And we know that President Lincoln was the one that signed the Emancipation Proclamation uh, uh, abolishing uh, chattel slavery in America. And, uh, and, and it was a, a phenomenal event. So we had uh, Martin Luther King's daughter, Dr. Bernice King, who's also the head of the uh, King Institute for Peace. Um, we had uh, two of the uh, participants in the Little Rock Nine, one African-American and one uh, white. Uh, mm-hmm. who was there when they desegregated the schools, and they told their story, and it was a phenomenal story. Uh, we had uh, one of the young ladies who participated on the, the, um, the youth march in Washington, and um, Nick Cannon is our honorary chairman. He, he, he hosted it. He was our celebrity host. He's our honorary chairman for the um, Writing a New History, which is our 400 Schools Initiative, and so we're going to identify 400 schools around the nation and uh, and and to uh, develop a curriculum of teaching black history, because what I found is a lot of our schools uh, no longer teach black history. Uh, we talked to some of the school teachers in the D.C. area and they don't teach it. So it's important not only for our African-American children uh, to understand and to learn true history, but also for those outside of our community as well, uh, because as as you have stated, our charge is to identify and acknowledge the uh, the contributions, the commitment, the sacrifice, the resiliency of African Americans uh, over this last 400 years. And so um, the contributions are very important for us to understand 
you know, we as African-Americans have fought in every war since the Revolutionary War and even fought for uh, the freedoms of others when we weren't able to, um, you know, to uh, have those same freedoms. Uh, and so we are fully invested in this nation. And um, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, when he did his I Have a Dream speech, as he said he, he had come to uh, cast the check that our founding fathers wrote. And so this is a a very opportune time for us to, for healing, for reconciliation, for restoration, uh, for having open and honest conversations in a way for us to heal and to grow and to move forward uh, because we can't change the past. But of course, as the old saying goes, if we don't learn from the past, then we are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really awesome. So what's coming up um, next week? Uh, well, as you know, um, the actual date is August the 25th, which is the commemorative date. August the 25th, 1619 uh, is the date that the historians say where the, the, the slave ship, the White Lion, came with 20 and odd Negroes on it um, and landed in Port Comfort, Virginia. So we're going to have a day of healing with the ringing of the bells, and uh, it's, a, it's a day of healing. We're asking people all over the country to participate and to uh, come in uh, agreement with us at 3 o'clock on August the 25th, Sunday, August the 25th. We're going to be ringing the bells, uh, one uh, bell ring for every 100 years. So four times we're going to ring the bell uh, as a sign of healing and moving forward. August the 23rd through the 25th is a, a ton of various events down in the Hampton area, which is where Fort Monroe is. Um so that's that's something that we would invite all of you to come down to the Hampton area, uh, August the 23rd through the 25th, and to participate as we, you know, like I said, it's about healing and reconciliation and moving forward, honoring our ancestors in a way that we build uh, for a future and a hope. And uh, so it's that's so important. Uh, also in September, we're going to be doing some things in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we are planning a, a gala down there also uh, during the time of the Congressional Black Caucus. So Stay tuned for those events. We'll be letting you know about those as they come up. Mm, wow, that should be really awesome. So I was wondering um, for you um, and maybe other commissioners, just uh, having this charge, um, and in this year also there was, you know, there were t- there were talks about reparations. Um, I learned yesterday that I didn't even know that Juneteenth was actually. Uh, recognized as as a a day of commemoration um you know uh, like a holiday um in certain certain states um it's not a federal federal holiday or anything people don't get off but yeah i hadn't known that i was just wondering sort of um just how it has impacted you you know your spirit and to be able to do this work and um as well as um January 2020, sort of what's going to be in place going forward after, you know, this acknowledgement of 400 years of African-American history in the United States. Well, yeah, and it's good. I'm glad you mentioned Juneteenth. And, you know, our our, our dear sister, uh, Commissioner Anyawu Cox, uh, spearheaded mm-hmm. our Juneteenth celebration. Uh, and Juneteenth, as most of your uh, listeners probably know, is the official date of black uh, independence because that's when uh, they were uh, they were uh, made aware of the fact that uh, the 13th amendment and uh, well the emancipation proclamation had gotten signed and the slaves were freed 
And so many states, and this year, I'm proud to say that Pennsylvania, where I live at, uh, has made Juneteenth or June 19th an official uh, state holiday as well. Mm -hmm. And so many other states are doing that. Um, And one of the things that I want to make sure that I I mention is that uh, this is not a, you know, at the end of the year, we fold up our tents and go back to business as usual. Our commission actually, Mm -hmm. um, the life of the commission extends beyond June, uh, I mean, 2019. And so we're building uh, a platform as we propel into the future and to, you know, um, you know, the, you know, the 400 years is just the beginning, I believe. Um, And there's other anniversary dates that are significant that are coming up in in, uh, 2020 as well. And so we are just looking to build community, to build a network of people um, to, to, you know, uh, connect with people and, and let people know about the various stories and, especially with our awards that we are giving out, our, our service awards, that will recognize the unsung heroes, many of the unsung heroes that most people may not be familiar with their stories, um, but, but they're, they're very important stories. And it just shows the resiliency and the dedication and the perseverance of African-Americans under some of the worst uh, conditions and oppression in, in human history uh, but we still endured. We still stayed strong, and we still made some great contributions uh, to this nation. And so, um, again, this is not about uh, you know 2019 and breaking the tape at the end of the race, but uh, just the beginning. I mean, how do we use this to propel us into the next uh, 400 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um, sort of going off off script a little bit. Um, so, one of you could talk a little bit about the service award. Um, because Commissioner Cox, who I've been in touch with a lot um, since the um, before the uh, the National Day of um, of um, Drumming and Healing on on June 19th, uh, in recognition of the 400 years of African American um, uh, history um, and the commission, um, I was just wondering, um, in you know, in light of the uh, animosity and um, and and violence uh, that is coming from you know sort of racial animosity. Just wondering, um, do you see that this this um, national commission, 400 commission, is a way to um, sort of neutralize that kind of energy through through education and through these these various activities? Absolutely. Um, I, I see us being in a very unique position that we can frame the narrative in a way of how we move forward for reconciliation and healing. You know, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, this is what I would call a kairos moment. And, you know, kairos is a Greek word for time. And, and uh, kairos is when opportunity meets destiny. And, and I think that we have such a great opportunity and we've been given authority, as I stated, from the legislative and executive branch of the United States government. Uh, that we can go out and frame the story to write a new history. Uh, and, you know, there's always going to be people that hate, you know, and people will just find reasons to hate people. It doesn't matter. If everybody was the same skin color, they would hate people because some are taller than others. So you're always, you're always going to have hate. Uh, but how do we frame the story and the narrative to educate, uh, to make room for healing and unity and restoration? And uh, those who are going to hate are going to hate. But we want to make it so that they are the exception and not the rule. We want to make it so that it is not politically correct to hate people just simply because of racial differences. And so we want to take the high road 
and uh, we wanted to be able to frame the narrative in a way of how we move forward. And, uh, you know, there's one of my favorite, being a pastor, one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word whosoever. And so the clarion call will go out, and whoever wants to join this narrative that we are uh, writing a new history will we'll have that opportunity. And and uh, those who don't want to gr- grab a hold of that, then uh, then that's, that's, you know, it is what it is. But uh, at the end of the day, how do we move forward? How do we grow as people? And I think without a shadow of a doubt, there are far more people who want to uh, reconcile and unify and live in peace than those who don't. So, uh, you know, we're in a very unique position, like I said, in this opportunity. I think that this this conversation that we're having in this season is a perfect setup for us to uh, have open and honest dialogue in a way to grow and to learn from each other and ultimately to love each other. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And and the service awards, um, the uh, Commissioner Cox mentioned that the um, I think the service awards are going to be uh, uh, given – out on the Sunday, and um, but this is just the first part because um, the commission yes. is going to be uh, recognizing hopefully 400 people uh, in in alignment with the 400 years. Yeah, this is just uh, and down in, in uh, Fort Monroe is just the first wave of recipients. So we will be giving out more awards, but there will be some special people that are honored down in Fort Monroe, um, mm-hmm. you know, during this time. And like you said, there's service awards just to recognize. There are going to be some, um, you know, post, uh, you know, some people that have dece- have been deceased. Uh, they'll be recognized as well. But those who have made some significant contributions to our community and to this nation, uh, they're going to be recognized. And uh, like I said, this is just the first wave that's taking place at uh, Fort Monroe. And we didn't want to overwhelm people with giving 400 awards away <laughs> at one time. I think it's- <laughs> You know, we, people would be so wore out by the end. You know, if you're the 400th <laughs> recipient, then you're probably like, man, I had everybody had to, you know, <laughs> uh, soldier through all this. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just such a great time. And, you know, all the great positive energy around this, uh, I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, Wanda, we're just going to overwhelm any negative energy. And it's just going to be such a great time to celebrate each other, to learn about each other, and to look to grow and to uh, grab a hold of the promises, not only promises of our founding fathers, but promises of of, uh, of the kingdom of God. Like I said, being a pastor, I read the back of the Bible, and it says that every tribe and every tongue and every nation will come together. And so at some point in time, it's going to happen. And I believe that this is such an opportune time to begin moving forward into that in, in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was looking at um, the... Uh, the schedule for um uh for Hampton um at um Fort Comfort it's going to be really awesome particularly the sunrise uh ceremony and all of the drumming um is that is that on Sunday morning uh yeah or is that Saturday? Like said, several <laughs> services so there's a Saturday uh service and then on Sunday uh, the the main healing uh services on Sunday afternoon and they're going to be doing the bell ringing, and uh, they're also going to release some doves and some butterflies, and we're going to sing. Uh, oh, wow. You know, okay. Get together and just love each other and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just have a big love fest down there. Right. Oh, yeah, it is. It's on Saturday, the sunrise, um, the 6.30 yeah, a.m. Yeah, that's Saturday what I was, sunrise. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's going to be great. And um, and then the commission is having an open 
meeting, um, a public hearing where people are going to, you know, if they've um, scheduled in advance, you know, um, on your calendar, then they'll be able to give, give, um, you know, give uh, testimony or comments. And I was wondering, what, what are you all going to talk about um, at this open commission meeting, uh, this public hearing from, uh, I guess, 1 to 4 p.m.? Um, well, let me, uh, uh, let, me, let me kind of... Yeah, let me nuance that a little bit. It's not a it's not a hearing, and we're not going to be giving testimonies. I don't want people to think it's a court case or anything. It's basically <laughs> an open meeting because <laughs> we're a public, you know, we're <laughs> it's public law that created us, <laughs> and so we're just going to have a, a open a public meeting where people can come and and hear uh, some of the things that we're doing. Uh, you know, of course, there there will be some people that will be there that will be able to give comments, but. Uh, it's just because you know we're it's public law that created us, and uh, we want the the public to know that we're here. We want the public to know what we're doing and some of the great things that we're planning for the future as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, in our in our closing <laughs> minutes, um, <laughs> I was wondering, um, like, you can't do all of these activities. So I was wondering, have you already figured out? Or is the commission going like in mosque to certain things? Like everybody's going to show up for the concert with Common, right? Um, the free concert <laughs> at <laughs> 6 p.m. on Saturday on uh, Saturday evening. Or um, I mean, I was just wondering. Or is it Friday? I'm not sure. I think it might be. Uh, I'm not sure what day it is. People have to look at the schedule. But um, have you decided what you're going to be at? And are you, yeah, um, looking for you know looking at uh, being at some particular uh, events in the schedule? Yeah, yeah, we're going to be at several of them. Uh, it's so much going on. Uh, we, You know, we're going to be at the various events. Uh, we're going to be at the concert. Of course, we're going to be at the, um, you know, uh, Fort Monroe. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be. It's a lot of stuff going on, We, we're, but we're going to be at several of, of the events. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one yeah. uh, also I'm going to be actually – uh, that Thursday, I'm going to be speaking in Newport News um, at an event. should be on the calendar as well, if you see it. Oh, okay. Um, hmm, I don't see it on on the Hampton. I'll make sure. I'll send you the flyer. Yeah, oh, super. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and lastly, I was wondering, you know, this is the great year of return. Um, you know, Ghana, uh, Uganda, I mean, Africa saying, come back. You know, come home. Yeah. We miss you. And I just wanted like the f- coming full circle like that. Isn't that cool? I just wanted your your comments around that. And have is is Ghana, up uh, or Uganda or other other places um, in Africa? Are they a part of this 400 year uh, um, commission um, of African American history um, in this this country? Um, is that is this that a part of the tying? You know you know, sort of that particular link that, that was broken, you know, sort of officially sort of bringing it back full circle. Yeah, so we are uh, – I've, I've met with the actual ambassador uh, from Ghana, the U.S. ambassador here. Uh, oh. we, we talked with people um, from Ghana and the various nations. I've had some relationships with people from, uh, from the various African nations for many years, but – I think it's a great opportunity to build a bridge. One of the things I always like to remind people is that, uh, you know, black people weren't slaves. That wasn't our identity. We were a people that were enslaved. And Mm -hmm. so when you understand that you're a people that were enslaved, 
then you also can look at what was our identity, where did we come from, how do we reconnect with our roots, and, uh, you know, build a bridge back to Africa. Africa, there's a great opportunity uh, between, you know, black people and Africans uh, to reconnect. And um, I've been to several services, uh, one in particular, where they did an apology because they they uh, acknowledged that, uh, you know, many of the slaves, it wasn't that the Europeans came and just grabbed them off the street, but they were actually traded uh, with other African nations. And so they had a, a part in the slave trade as well. And so this healing and rec- reconciliation, like I said, open and honest dialogues are so very important. And I've been to ceremonies, and spiritually, I think it's so important. I've been to ceremonies where um, there, there has actually been repentance and um, apologies uh, by our African brothers for uh, what happened to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's excellent. That's really excellent. Well, um, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to to share um, before you go? Um, I would just ask that if if everyone can, um, you know, just continue to get the word out to let people know we are here. I don't know if you had a chance to look at our website. Uh, Our official website is the 400yaahc.com. And so if your Mm -hmm. listeners can uh, go to the website and find out more information. And also, I would also encourage you to, um, all your listeners, to uh, call their congressmen and tell them, hey, make sure we give, you know, have, we want to be overfunded. You know, Congress is the one that writes the checks. We want to make sure that we're overfunded so that we can do, because part of what we're doing is we're going to be giving out grants to uh, to certain organizations, uh, grassroots community organizations that, uh, you know, fulfill one of the mandates. You know, you mentioned the various categories, whether it's civic, religious, education, you know, historical, um, we're going to be giving out grants. And so the the better funded we are from Congress, the more we will be able to impact our community moving forward. So those are just two, two uh, uh, things I'd like to add to the conversation if I can. Oh, that's, that's a great idea. And, and then um, maybe we can have another conversation, you know, maybe toward the end of the year, but I just was thinking also about yeah, the poor people's campaign and um, in the March on Washington next year for 2020, um, sort of looking at, you know, sort of um, uh, more revival. And, uh, and and I was just thinking about, you know, the connection there between um, the uh, 400 years of African-American history and, and that particular movement that's uh, been ongoing for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, as we rebuild our community, economic empowerment is going to be uh, very important. And also, you know, just to let people know, there's this thing called the Urban Revitalization and Opportunity Zones that are available. Uh, So I would Mm -hmm. encourage your listeners to check those out, too, because that's a great opportunity for us to rebuild our communities as well. Okay. Where can people find out information about that? Uh, the Opportunity Zones, you can go to the IRS website uh, and look up Opportunity Zones. You can find out where the Opportunity Zones are in your state. There's about 8,500 of them around the nation. And uh, also how you can, uh, you know, connect with it. There's going to be hearings and meetings all over the country to educate people about that. So a uh, great opportunity for us, like I said, to rebuild our communities, especially our urban areas that, uh, you know, have suffered over the years because of poverty and lack of opportunities. So. Okay. All right. Super. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Green, for um, for joining us. And do you want to give your website so people can um, find out more about what you're up to? 
Sure. Uh, so the uh, the website is the 400yaahc.com, which rep- which stands for the 400 Year African American History Commission. dot com. That's our website. Uh, I'm also uh, you can find me the 2019movement.org is my website. Um, and so, but the 400 Year yaahc.com is our website, and we'd love for uh, to get as many people as we can on board to uh, promote and to uh, to let people know that we're here open for business and we're trying to do a great work, not only for our ancestors, but for our children's children as well. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, super. We well, have a good rest of the day, and I look forward to meeting you next week. You too. I'm looking forward to it, Wanda. And again, thank you for the opportunity. You're quite welcome. Peace and blessings. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, good morning, Shadra. Good, good morning. Good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. You are founder and director of the Sankofa Project, but you are also, wow, you've done so much. I was just looking at your <laughs> beautiful bio and your beautiful picture. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Wanda, yeah. as, as have you. So I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to be on your, your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I met you, you know, through the International Coalition for the Commemoration of African Ancestors of the Middle Passage. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Important work yeah. that you know that began because of the wonders and the brilliance and the foresight of Tony K. Bambara, you know, who really set mm-hmm. the stage for the work that we have all been doing around the United States and also internationally uh, to commemorate the ancestors who perished in the Middle Passage, um, that really the world has forgotten. So uh, it's an honor to do this work, and it's an honor to work with you and those of us who are committed to um, resurrecting this history and remembering mm-hmm. those um, who otherwise have been left out of the history books. So Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I had none about, um, you know, um, uh, I, uh, I remembered um, – uh, Ancestor Tony K. Bambara's, you know, um, you know, sort of call. Yeah, <laughs> that was absolutely yeah, uh, until until um, you know, much later because um, yeah, when when um we started uh, the commemoration in San Francisco 24 years ago this October, um, a friend of mine, I think he had um had been um in one of the southern states and and okay. experienced one and he was like, Oh, this is so beautiful, we have to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, in the bay, right? And so he said, Hey Wanda, da 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 da, let's do it. So we did it. <laughs> well and you know, yeah. and and kudos to you all who have been doing it for twenty four years. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, South Carolina I think is in their twenty fifth, twenty sixth year now. And, you know, it started in New York, it moved to South Carolina, Oakland, you know, all these places, Uh, Hampton, Virginia, you know, uh, the Virgin Islands, we all are doing this this really sacred work um, to remember the ancestors that never made it off of those enslavement ships. You know, a lot of times when we think about slavery, we think about the plantations, we think about the auction blocks, we think about the horror of lynching, as Brian Stevenson has created, you know, the lynching museum. We have all these things that we talk about. We talk about the separation of families, and that really speaks to what's happening today in the political world with the separation of children from their parents. I mean, this is something that that happened, 
during slavery, but rarely do people take the time to think about the ones that didn't make it. And so um, I, think it's, I think it's so important, you know, with Sankofa, the meaning of Sankofa is to reach back and fetch it, you know, to reach back to those ancestors, to acknowledge them, to give them the funeral that they never received. Um, because their funeral was the, you know, as one of the authors I remember uh, wrote about the grave, their grave was the watery uh, grave of the Atlantic Ocean. That's where their burial site is. So us gathering at the water doing this this um, remembrance ceremony and these tributes to the ancestors is such important work um, to connect mm-hmm. us to our past and to create purposeful steps for our future. You know, and as a gentleman said just before, for our children and our children's children, you know, they need to know where they've come from. And also that our history did not begin with slavery, right? So slavery was something that happened on the continuum, but I always tell people, you know, you're born, you're a baby, you're an infant, you learn to crawl, then you learn to walk, then you learn to run, right? So there's so many things that happen on the timeline of our life. And looking at African-American history or the African diaspora, slavery was something that happened along the way. It is not our origin. We had a history and culture and language and experiences that shaped who we are well before slavery even happened. And so we need to go back to that also um, because that gives us a sense of identity of who we are as a people. So mm-hmm. I commend you for your 24 years. You know, Sankofa in Hampton, we are coming up on our ninth year for next year, and we're so excited to do this work. Um, and as I said, to stand with you and the others as we commemorate these ancestors. Right, right, Yeah. Yeah, you um, in your bio, uh, you write that um, you're born of the bloodlines of African and Native people, Seminole and uh, Choctaw, um, yes. Alabama and North Carolina roots, um, Native of Bronx, New York, and you yes. consider yourself a citizen of the earth. Uh, you are an anthropologist, uh, social justice, and um, I've got a, a social justice and human rights advocate, lecturer writer, educator, anti-rape activist. Yeah, I was really interested in the work that uh, you did around that uh, organization um, that you started. Um, uh, community organizer, public relations strategist, and problem of their two amazing sons, which I think you just dropped off to school before you Yes, <laughs> I did. I did, yeah. I did. Motherhood, right? <laughs> the balance of it all. Yes. Totally. Yeah, and you're a, a former public educator, um, and media coordinator for the internationally renowned New York African Burial Ground Project. Yes. Uh, spearheading yes. The, National, the United Nations International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women um, program in, in Newport News, Virginia. Yes. Um, the life's work is rooted in excavating history, giving voice to the untold stories of our past, and advocating for the vulnerable, the marginalized, for whom... Uh, Arundhati Roy referred to as the preferably unheard. Yes. And again, you're founder and executive director of uh, two organizations, the Sankofa Project and for EVER, Forever, yes. in the Four Directions of the Earth. And you worked in, in this organization, Violence in Rape. Yeah, yes. so why don't you talk about <laughs> that and um, uh, the, the organizations and 
in light of next week, um, you know, yes. we're going to be coming to our town. Yes, <laughs> very know, exciting, very exciting. African American history, um, you know, commemoration at the at the place, you know, yeah. where our ancestors came in 400 years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I I can't wait to see you there, um, Wanda, and to welcome you to Hampton. You know, Hampton is incredibly significant. So, you know, I'm a transplant to Hampton, Virginia, born and raised in the the Bronx. Uh, that is, those are my roots. Uh, but moved to Virginia 17 years ago, and when I moved to the area, I was thinking about, wow, you know, Hampton is 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 really significant historically because it sits on both ends of the spectrum with regards to slavery. So at Point Comfort, which is now Fort Monroe National Monument, you had the landing, right, of 20-and-odd Africans that disembarked the ship, the White Lion. And that's really where slavery began. You know, it's the birthplace of slavery in British North America. Then the contraband decision happened during the Civil War where three African-American men petitioned General Butler for their freedom. And so you have the beginning story, which was slavery in 1619. Then you have the contraband story in 1861 where a call was put out two Africans saying if you could make it to the gates of Fort Monroe, you would have your freedom. So Fort Monroe is so incredibly significant um, when you look at what slavery has been in the United States uh, because, as I said, it sits on both ends of the spectrum of enslavement and freedom. And so, yes, you know, next week is the 400th commemoration of um, remembering those 20-and-odd Africans who came off of that ship and began their lives, uh, the origins of slavery in British North America. Um, And so it's going to, you know, a week of activities that are taking place um, during this time, uh, reflecting, right, on the past and looking ahead to the future for what we can do, you know, moving forward. Um, I'm excited. There's going to be, you know, quite a few events, a couple that I'm involved in. There's going to be um, a healing event on the 25th, which is going to be at Fort Monroe. Um, That's going to be a beautiful event, and I know that um, I'm really excited that uh, the superintendent, um, Terry Brown, invited me to do a libation for that event and, you know, the notion of healing really came as a brainchild of Mr. Hugh Harrell, who is a part of the Wyanoke Association, which is the red and black. They focus on the Native and the African component uh, of culture. And so Mr. Hugh is now an ancestor, and I'm really grateful to Superintendent Brown that he saw the vision, saw the purpose of having a healing ceremony uh, for slavery because, you know, slavery is something that affected us all. A lot of times people will say, oh, that's African-American history. That's dealing just with the diaspora. No, slavery left a stain on everyone that it touched. It, It gave people this notion of superiority over those who were enslaved, right? And it, it left those who were enslaved 
feeling ashamed about that part of our history. Um, so a healing ceremony is, is, is necessary, I think, if we're really going to move the pendulum forward. Um, and then there's a huge concert that's happening on the 24th that's being sponsored by uh, the city of Hampton. So there's a lot that's happening uh, during that time period, and I'm just I'm really glad that the world is going to be paying attention to um, uh, this crime, as I call it, a crime against humanity, which is what slavery was, and also looking at the lingering effects of slavery. Uh, when you look at situations like Timmy Rice, who was 12 and who was killed, um, we have to look back and see why those sorts of things are happening today and what effect of the legacies of slavery have had on our current day situation. So, yeah, so I'm excited that you're coming. I think it's going to be a really, really um, amazing week of activities. Um, And, you know, we're going to be honoring the ancestors. That's what we do, honoring the ones that that paved the way for us to be here today. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, And I noticed that um, there are going to be um, dignitaries from – from Africa, um, yeah. I think I saw Cameroon is going to be in the house. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah, right, right. And then you know, um, you know, you're doing a libation uh, ceremony as uh, as a part of the two the two thirty p.m. Um, yes, national bell ringing is supposed to happen throughout the country. If you know that exactly. people don't have to be uh, in in Hampton, Virginia. It's similar to when we have World AIDS Day at noon, yes. how we, we ring the bells just to sort of connect uh, the uh, the healing and the recognition of this being um, an illness that's affecting, you know, everyone in this country. Similarly, you know, the enslavement of African people um, yes. has affected every, you know, um, every aspect of American life, you know, all people, you know, all institutions, whether they know how or acknowledge it or not. And so this is really awesome. I'm wondering, like, is the word getting out, because, um, you know, to everyone to, to ring the bells, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, well, I, I believe so, Wanda. I believe so. I know that the National Park Service is, you know, putting out their press releases with regards to that. You know, thank you for even sharing it on your show that this is something that's going to be happening. And you're right, you know, whether you're in Hampton, Virginia, you know, not everybody has um, the means, right, or has the time in their schedule to come to Hampton to do this. And it's kind of like what we do with Remembrance, right? So we have Remembrance on the second Saturday in June. However, we tell people that if you can't make it to one of our locations, go to Mm -hmm. a body of water, Right? And take a moment, pause, think about the ancestors, think about the sacrifices and the contributions that have been made. Um, And so it's the same way with the bell ringing. You know, if you're not able to be in Hampton, Virginia on the 25th at Fort Monroe, then wherever you are, take a moment and pause and think about the contributions which Africans have made across the world Um, because we know that the impact that Africans have made is global. When you look at Bahia, when you look at Cuba, when you look at the Bronx, you look at Oakland, you look at all these different places. You know, they do capoeira 
in Brazil, but they break dance in Brooklyn, right, and in the Bronx. Those those ways in which we've maintained our culture throughout slavery, you know, we're celebrating all of that. The horror, which slavery was, because we have to be honest about what it was, right? It was a tragedy mm-hmm. against humanity. And we are also going to acknowledge all the ways in which we have persevered and we have moved beyond the shackles on our minds and on our hands and on our feet to create uh, the beautiful things that we've created. I mean, you know, Hampton is also, you know, the place where Katherine Johnson, right, NASA pioneer Katherine Johnson worked at NASA. And because of her, she calculated the trajectory for Neil Armstrong to get to the moon. Had it not been for this African-American woman who was brilliant, who was a mathematician, you know, we as the United States may not have made it to the moon. So while we have slavery that is a part of the history of Hampton, we also have the contraband. We have Katherine Johnson and uh, Mary Jackson and the other women who worked as a part of NASA who did amazing things to uh, contribute to what America is today. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, When I was looking at um, sort of Hampton, I didn't even know that the Chesapeake is it Lake uh, was was there, Um, and I didn't know that the beach that um, that was in one of these movies I saw, where um, young African American students go to have fun was also there. Um, I can't remember the name of the beach, but I, I saw when I was looking at these areas that you could stay in that were close to Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> and the Chesapeake yeah, Bay. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, and then um and then I was uh, also noticed that um uh, Buck Row um beach and I yes. heard about that beach. That's oh, there. Yes. Yeah. Buck Row yeah. Beach is so significant. Ugh. It's why we chose as our remembrance uh, location mm-hmm. and remembrance right. just to say to share with your your viewers remembrance our ninth annual remembrance and remembrance ceremony is going to be on june 13th 2020 at buckrow beach in hampton virginia at 11 a.m and so that is our annual place to have our ceremony and mm-hmm. you know we could have gone really anywhere i mean there are plenty of beaches in the mm-hmm. hampton roads area Buckrow Beach was chosen specifically when I learned about Bayshore Beach and mm-hmm. the significance of Bayshore Beach, that in 1898, um, African-American men, and I'm sure some women, um, gathered together their resources financially, and they bought a portion of the land, which was adjacent to Buckrow Beach, because during Jim Crow, African-Americans were not allowed to be on Buckrow Beach. So... African-Americans decided, well, we want a place to gather. We want a place to enjoy our families and be at the beach and swim. So these men and women came together, created Bayshore Beach uh, and resort. And so it was a a thriving place. You know, you had all sorts of um, acts of the day and stars that were coming down. It was the the number one um, tourist spot for African-Americans during Jim Crow. And so for me to have our remembrance ceremony 
on the sand where our ancestors were not allowed to stand and Mm -hmm. to be just steps away from Bayshore Beach spoke to the resistance, spoke to the resilience of people to make a way out of no way, to carve out a safe space for African Americans to exist and be human, right? Everyone wants to go to the beach and just have a good time. This is not like groundbreaking, but it was during that time period because it was against the law and we could have been killed for going to Buckrow. So now annually we go to Buckrow as a single mm-hmm. for projects to pay tribute to those ancestors of the Middle Passage. So yeah, Bayshore Beach is, is another treasure of the city of Hampton and what African Americans were able to create during a very um, difficult time in history where, you know, injustice ruled. It was, it was the, the, the rule of the day, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about um, um, our our, um, our beloved um, ancestor, um, uh, Bill Jones, and um, yes. and, oh. and 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 the work that you did, and he was a part of it in um, uh, in taking our ancestors that were a part of this this mass uh, grave, and yes. uh, and moving yeah. moving their remains to this wonderful um, monument in, in New York. And, you know, um, uh, is it is it Wall Street where, where um, the remains were found? Yeah, so they were found, uh, the African burial ground site spans um, five to six acres of lower Manhattan. And so okay. the actual building is 290 Broadway. So, you know, they were building this building. They had to do, they meaning the, those, you know, the people who purchased the building, uh, purchased the land, had to do what's known as a cultural resource survey to determine if there was anything historically significant under the ground. They looked at old maps, which showed a Negro's burying ground in that area. And, you know, they thought, oh, that was 300 years ago, there's probably nothing there. Well, 419 intact burials later uh, were excavated from that site, were studied at Howard University by Dr. Michael Blakey and his team at the Cobb Laboratory, Um, and then they were brought back to New York to be reinterred at a ceremony that we had. Um, And so the burials are on site there, um, but it is believed that 10 to 20,000 Africans are buried underneath um, Lower Manhattan. 20,000? Yeah, it's believed that um, wow. the burial ground, the burial ground site extended, the, the entire burial ground extended five to uh, six acres um, mm. Of Lower Manhattan, and so people don't realize it when they're walking. You know, when 9/11 happened, our building uh, was at 290 Broadway. That's where the uh, actual site of the building was. But our building for the Office of Public Education and Interpretation was um, at the World Trade Center. Our address was Six World Trade Center. So when 9/11 tragically happened, um, our building was destroyed as well. And um, that entire area, you know, people think of it as the little plot of land where the, um, you know,
1754 map that shows the burial ground. No, the burial ground extended, um, you know, six acres um, and containing, again, upwards of 1,500 um, intact remains of free and enslaved Africans who worked in colonial New York. So um, it's always been a burial ground, um, that mm-hmm. area. It's always been a site of mourning um, mm-hmm. and a site of remembrance now for the Africans who uh, were buried there as well as uh, those who perished in 9-11. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of these <laughs> untold stories, you know, and this is this is part of the work that, you know, I always say to people, you know, um, with my work with anthropology, I excavate history um, mm-hmm. because there's so much that we don't know about uh, our past. There's so much that has been hidden. There's so much that has been um, omitted from the history books. And so it is imperative that we you know, reach back to this mm-hmm. information that we resurrected, that we share this information, so that our children grow up knowing that their history did not begin with slavery, right? Mm-hmm. That right. the history Definitely. extends far beyond slavery. Slavery was something that happened on the continuum, um, but it's not our beginning in any way, shape, or, or form. It's something that happened to us. And these were Africans, as you know, the person before me was saying something about identity. And identity is very important. You know, when we refer to these Africans, I personally never refer to them as slaves because these were African people who were enslaved. Slavery is right. a condition that happened to them, but it is not their mm-hmm. identity. They were Africans. And also when people think of slaves, or think of slavery, they automatically think of African people when globally many different cultures um, have enslaved their own, right? Anytime there's wars, anytime there's the, those that have and those that do not have, um, you have instances where slavery is what happens. And so, you know, to get that in our mindset that when we're referring to these Africans, especially through this commemoration and beyond, we need to refer to them as who they were. When we look at the historical records, um, mm-hmm. the research that we did at the African burial ground, they refer to themselves as Africans, the African Free School, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, the African Mutual Release Society. All of these organizations, they consistently used African. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they knew they were African. <laughs> they knew they weren't Negroes. They knew they weren't slaves. They were African mm-hmm. people. Who were and also they knew, too. and they also they yeah. knew they weren't American either. Yeah, because that yeah. didn't well, come absolutely. until a lot later. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So language is really important. You know, I would say language is a liberator. You know, we can really change things by the way that we speak about them. Um, and right. for me, it's about giving respect where respect is due. Um, mm-hmm. And these Africans clearly built America and beyond, and uh, deserve deserve the respect right yeah um so we're we're kind of out of time now my next guest is in the studio but i want to know if you could give our audience um your website so that they could absolutely um, yeah absolutely so the website for the sankofa projects is mm-hmm. uh www.thesankofaprojects with an s 
www.blogspot.org. Um, and they could email us um, at the Sankofa Projects at gmail.com. Um, I do want to say this, if I may. I know we had talked about yes. Oswald. That is, Oswald is yes. coming, okay? So I just, oh. it's yeah. the Association for the Study of the Worldwide African Diaspora is coming to William and Mary November 5th through the 9th, 2019, and the theme for Oswald is Remembrance, Renaissance, Revolution, the Meaning of Freedom in the African World Over Time and Space. And for more information on that, please email us at Oswad, A-S-W-A-D, 2019 at wm.edu, sponsored by William and Mary and a signature event of American Evolution. So I would love to come on and talk to you more about that and get Dr. Vincent, yeah. who is the, the person behind uh, getting Oswald to William and Mary um, at a later date. Okay. That would be wonderful to be able to do oh, that. But mark really- your calendars, November 5th yeah. through the 9th, Oswald. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's another another, that's another trip one. I need to need. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be huge. We have 30 mm-hmm. countries represented uh, oh. and 1,000 scholars from around the world, artists and activists, Ta-Nehisi mm-hmm. Coates, Tim Reed, numerous mm-hmm. plays, um, Claudrina Harrell, yeah. Shani Roper, um, leading mm-hmm. panel discussions on Garvey. It's going to be huge. So anyway, Thank you for yeah. this time, Wanda. You are always a pleasure to talk to, and I thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about the work that Sankofa does and to speak about Oswald, and I look forward to talking mm-hmm. to you again soon. Sure, and, you know, um, before you go, yes. um, I put in a proposal for um, ICAMP to be able to um, have a, a panel discussion at Oswald, but I never got a response, so I don't know if, if it's still being considered or not. Well, you know what? I will place an e- uh, a call today. I'll send an email to the um, team and ask mm-hmm. them about that because they are working on the program as we speak. So I okay. will send an email today, and then you and I, let's talk um, okay. either later today or tomorrow, and I will be able to provide some information for you, hopefully. Oh, I hope it's a yes. That would be super. Yes, I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm rooting for you. So, yes, um, I remember you said you had put in a proposal. So I'm hoping that that, uh, that, that comes true. But, but I will send the email and let you and I communicate about that. That would be super. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to continuing our conversation and to meeting you finally, you know, yes, face-to-face yes. after all these years I, of having a conversation. It's like, ah, I know. this will be so We've been lovely. talking for years. <laughs> I no, know, absolutely. I know. Absolutely. Thank you, Wanda. Again, I appreciate all that you do and the platform that you give, so thank you. All right. You take good care. <laughs> take good care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Oh, good morning, Lewis uh, Campbell. Um, is um, uh, is Susie Butler with you? Susie, are you here? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, is, mean, she, uh, is she? Is she? Yes, I, I believe she is. You hear her? I don't hear her. Well, I'm here. <laughs> Okay. Uh, no, I'm sure she'll step in soon. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering was she, were you on the same line? That's why I asked you the question. Or is she calling in separately? Uh, she's calling in separately. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe maybe while while we talk, I'm going to introduce you. Uh, maybe you could send her um, a text or something. 
and say, call into the studio. Um, but it's always a great, great to speak to you, Louis. Um, yeah, and um, around around the work that you're doing as artistic director uh, with multi-ethnic theater in San Francisco, and um, yeah, you um, you are the not only the artistic director and executive director, uh, you are also the stage manager. You're like you do like almost everything <laughs> there, well. and. Uh, yeah, you're a man of many hats, literally. Um, and over the past 20 years, you've directed and designed 20 multi-ethnic theater productions. That's a lot. Um, this oh, entire... more than that. More okay, than that's that. what it says right here. Oh, well, you need to update <laughs> your your uh, your bio here. Like, you, yeah. how many years then? More than this? How many? Uh, well, multi-ethnic theater is in its 26th year now. Uh, okay. Uh, and uh, we've done uh, oh, we've averaged about three plays a year. Mhm. And um, <laughs> we uh, and we've done seven August Wilson plays. This is our seventh. Right. Three more to mm-hmm. go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and it's so cool that you know for your seventh August Wilson, you started on the seventh of August. Was that on purpose? Yes, we we have a project. We intend to do the entire Pittsburgh cycle, in spite of the fact that our current production, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, is the one play that does not take place in Pittsburgh. It takes place in a rundown recording studio in Chicago. But it's called the Pittsburgh cycle. He wrote one play for each decade of the 20th century, chronicling the back, black experience of the 20th century. And we've done seven of them. We've got three more to go uh, next year. And uh, next year we'll do the piano lesson. And the year following that, we'll uh, double up with the final two plays, uh, Seven Guitars and King Headley the second. And uh, um, But we're so happy to be doing... Probably the most difficult of his plays, uh, Ma Rady's Black Bottom, uh, right now. And we've landed a great uh, venue, uh, the uh, uh, ACT's Costume Shop Theater on uh, uh, Market Street, right across the street from the Civic Center, just a few steps away from the Civic Center BART station. And... uh, uh, um, we this week actually we're offering some, we're offering a deep discount of tickets for the next four plays Wednesday that's tonight uh, Thursday Friday and Saturday uh, mm, all you got to wow. do is go to our website which is very easy to remember we're, we're multi ethnic theater uh, met for short, M-E-T, met for short, and our slogan is, we have met in San Francisco, and our website is, we have met dot org, O-R-G. And you go to that website, you get your tickets, and uh, I'm going to give you a secret password that drops the ticket price down from $35 to $15, especially for your listeners. The uh, uh, secret code is we have met 
M-R, like we have met Ma Rainey. We have met oh, M-R. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and, oh, that's great. And that's yeah. especially for especially for your listeners. Um, oh, thank you. Oh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I was looking, you know, that you um, – um, you have a uh, see. So you got a BA in theater from San Jose State University and uh, general education credentials, also San Jose State, and special credential in speech therapy and rehabilitation of the hard of hearing, um, and postgraduate courses that lead, led to an MA in theater from San Francisco State, and um, and you have like a really long history. Um, you know, teaching um, in the public schools. And um, um, I was reading that, like, at Mission High School, you established multi-ethnic theater. Um, and uh, could you talk about, about um, you know, your your work in the schools and that, you know, uh, bringing theater yeah. into the schools? Mm-hmm. It also says that, um, well, you could tell me better than I could read it. Why don't you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Well, first- and then maybe you Sorry, go ahead. When we first started the Mm -hmm. program at Mission High School, we called it Multi-Ethnic Theater Workshop. We did a couple of important uh, African-American plays, plays by African-American playwrights, and we did uh, 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 a Spanish language play. We did it both in Spanish and in English. Uh, And... uh, um, one afternoon, uh, I was stopped in the hallway by a student, a white student, who said, gee, Mr. Campbell, I'd like to be part of your program. Am I ethnic? And my answer was, we are all ethnic. And <laughs> right then, I changed the name of the program from Ethnic Theater Workshop to Multi-Ethnic Theater. We specialize in what people ask me, do you do colorblind casting? And I say, no, how can you do colorblind casting? You see the actors when you audition them. We do color creative casting. So we will cast, uh, uh, we will do, we will cast diverse uh, ethnicities in diverse roles and we will rethink roles for men uh, and cast women in those roles. Uh, any, any way we can uh, open up opportunities, which the traditional theater does not emphasize. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> now I, I'm I still teach. I'm a retired oh, teacher, but I do stuff. Yeah, I, I'm a retired teacher, but I do substitute teaching. I teach uh, K to 12, but mostly uh, mostly K to 3, uh, and a lot of special education. And um, uh, kids ask me, what's it like being old? And my answer is, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I hope you get a chance to try it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's um here's Miss Susie. Okay, cool. Good morning. How are you? You must have heard us oh, calling your morning. name. 
good morning. Hi. Yeah, Lewis is um already on the air. We've been chatting about his his wonderful career, you know, as a as a teaching artist director and establishing of these great programs in San Francisco Unified School District. Oh yes. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well you you play the title um, you know, a role of Ma Rainey and I was just reading this wonderful um, information that uh, Adrian sent me about you, Adrian uh, Warren sent me that you and Ma Rainey have a lot in common, and I was wondering if you, you and uh, and Louis could talk a little bit about um, sort of how you all met and how you got cast in the role, and then maybe you could talk about, you know, um, the synchronicity between you and this wonderful character, and then I'll read more of your bio. Okay. Uh, well, Mr. Campbell, Mr. Campbell said Tom's performing uh, on the show. <laughs> I do a, a, my my Sarah Vine show. So he came to see me and saw me, and he said, there's my Rainey. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have thought of doing the show the Unless I could have cast Ma Rainey Ma Rainey was the first role I cast I knew I would have No problem casting wonderful men In the uh, In the roles of the musicians We've been doing uh, We've been doing August Wilson For uh, Seven Years, over seven years We started with uh, With uh, The uh, the Fences And uh, um, we uh, and and I, I just see have a whole lot of wonderful men, but I would not even attempt the show unless I had Ma Rainey, and I knew I had one when I met Susie. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's really really great, and um, and so um. Ms. Butler, um, talk about about uh, Ma Rainey and um, and talk about your life and 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 your mother. I mean, it's like wow. I mean, it's just you you can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> I know you really can't. Uh, well, well, I was reading up her her bio and her she was born in Alabama and her mother name was Ella and I said, well, I was born in Alabama and my mother's name is Ella and and I'm, I'm really into like <laughs> genealogy and stuff, so. I said probably one of my ancestors because it appears that most of the people from Virginia to Texas are related anyway. So I'm assuming we're somewhere back in there. She's related to me somewhere, maybe eighth cousin removed or something like that. But I just thought there was a real connection because, wow, both of our mother's name is Ella. Oh, both of us are from Alabama. Interesting. So that's what the connection was to me. Mm-hmm. Right, right, Yeah. And and you know and and she um, you know um, wow um, Ma Rainey is I think uh, you said that she is the um, uh, the mother of of the blues. Yes, the mother of the blues. Mm-hmm. That was the title that was given to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, a yeah. lot of the other blues singers were mentored by Ma Rainey. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. I just, I just really love this play. I just love the way that she handles the business and those men. Oh my goodness, that you know, that are part of the ensemble. 
and and then you just see, you know, how she was just swindled. I mean, literally swindled of of her, you know, of her, um, uh, you know, the uh, comp being compensated for for the work. Yeah, her spoils. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like the way those contracts were written, and you know, she knew she was a smart woman. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really a great, great work. Yeah, I'm really happy yeah, that yeah, you're doing. Was, I think she was used, but mm-hmm. she knew that she was valuable to these men, and so she could stand up to them. And there was not much she could do because if she walked away, they would lose a valuable asset, a money-making asset, asset. Mm-hmm. So she stood up to them strongly. Uh, we've uh, we're in our uh, second week of our of a five week run, and mm-hmm. as I said before, uh, we're offering a special discount this week, Wednesday through Saturday. Um, and all people need to do is go to our website. We have met dot org, and. Uh, uh, Put in the uh, secret code, we have met MR, and they get a major, major discount on tickets. So it's uh, we uh, have met M-A-R, M-A-R? M- no, it's we have met, it's we have met MR. Um, that's the, web, that's the, yeah, uh-huh. that's the uh, code that will stand for this week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Miss Susie, you are Butler. You are a thirty-year veteran of the theater, and you're known as the triple threat because you are a renowned singer who has a four-octave range, and you are an accomplished actor and trained dancer in ballroom, Broadway, and salsa. <laughs> you were born in Montgomery, Alabama, during the civil rights era of in the midst of the marches, and you were raised in Wichita, Kansas. You're from yes. a military family with a strong connection to the Baptist Church. You went from singing in church to performing jazz, which began while you attended the University of Alabama, where you were also studying to be an actor. After moving to the Bay Area, marrying and raising children, you continued recording, performing at nightclubs and in the theater. And you've got a really um, extensive theater experience, including 28 Guns at Brava on being hit with Danny Glover at the Burial Clay Theater, Day of Absence at the Burial Clay Theater, um, that's at the African American Art and Culture Complex, The Great uh, Mac Daddy at the Burial Clay, and uh, the run of the Burgermaster at Berkeley Stage Company, St. Louis Woman at Black Rep uh, Theater, Bubbling Brown Sugar at Black Rep. Um, and a whole lot more. And then you also have uh, numerous television appearances that include the Henry Lee Project with Danny Glover, Entrepreneurs of Today, uh, and Sue's Place, uh, the University of Alabama. Your most recent television show is Susie Butler Around Midnight on Cake of Coffee TV 20, and episodes are on your YouTube channel, Susie Butler Around Midnight. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Um, you're also a seasoned nightclub performer in the San Francisco Bay Area and other cities. Um, and uh, you appeared at the Brick and Mortar, the Britannic 
uh, Arms, Majestic Casino, Gary, Indiana, uh, Rosales Jazz Club. Is Rosales still around in San Francisco? No, he he uh, he sold that yeah. one because uh, she but she belongs is connected to him also. That's his wife. Oh, okay, okay, that's nice. Yeah, because Rosales was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, yeah. Club Jazz Nouveau and Holiday Park Casino in Inglewood, California. And you recorded several albums, Susie Sings Sarah, uh, Doodlin, and Susie Sings Latin. And in 2018, you produced a short movie, Them. Um, <laughs> and now you're returning to your first love. <laughs> so that's great you're returning to your first love because I guess maybe Ma Rainey was one of those characters that I, I really have to do this. Like, you know, you probably have a list, don't you, of all the, you know, <laughs> Leads that you, yeah. you you want to, yeah, yeah. So which well, um, like what what my family said, my friends say, well, Mr. Campbell got the right person because that's my personality. Yeah. I always encourage actors to use themselves rather than to try to become someone else. And Susie uh-huh. has no trouble doing that. And uh, uh, you know, in, in, in also a word about uh, August Wilson and multi-ethnic theater. Uh, multi-ethnic theater welcomes people of all nationalities, races, uh, ethnicities, uh, and. August Wilson would have fit in really well because he was multi-ethnic. His father was German. His mother was an American uh, black woman. Uh, and uh, uh, a lot of – we also welcome, welcome people who prefer to be known as multi-ethnic. Uh, we're called multi-ethnic theater because we reach out to everyone, even the people who – Call themselves multi-ethnic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the, my, the person that plays my nephew, he said, I'm Afro-Asian. I said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When we did, when, uh, uh, to my comment about uh, uh, color creative casting, uh, our first play was Fences. And at the end of that play, there is a uh, role for a uh, uh, a young girl, a, a, uh, about a 10-year-old girl. And we cast a black girl in the role. And I said to her, you know, whenever I cast a child, I always like to, to double cast the role because I don't want the um, – I don't want – the experience to interfere with your schoolwork. I said, if you have somebody who could, uh, uh, who, who you'd like to bring in to pl- share the role with you, please do. So she came in and she brought her best friend who was Jewish. And I looked at the cast and I said, can we do this? And to a man, they answered, we are multi-ethnic theater. We better do this. It's called color creative casting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about um, some of your favorite um, parts in the uh, 
and Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom. And, and also, have have you seen it before, um, you know, um, produced um, uh, Miss Butler? And if so, um, was no, I haven't, this particular I haven't character? Seen it. Oh, no, really? I it. No, okay. I haven't seen it before. Uh, oh, I thought wow, that it was nice. the one that, uh, that uh, Queen Latisha did, but, I thought, but that was Bessie. Uh, so I had not seen it, uh, but mm-hmm. I did go and look at the movie because my Rainey was a uh, uh, main uh, key figure in her uh, in her life. So I did see that, but I had never um, uh, I've never seen it before. The part that I liked the most is when she's telling the men off, when she's telling Levy off about uh, changing their her song. I mean, it's like I'm a I'm a woman, a black woman in the 1920s. Women just got the vote in 1920, and uh. And you're trying to tell me you're going to take my song and tell me that somebody that I pay is going to change my song. Okay, so I, I really had to tell them off about that one. It was uh, that was that was my favorite part, telling them off. <laughs> this is my song, not your song. Okay, and I don't appreciate you trying to you know pull, pull this man thing about oh we got to all stick together with the men and tell you what to do no you're not doing that because this is my band not your band okay i pay the band so don't play with me <laughs> so they were like ooh okay but that was my favorite part and you can uh, okay. see why you can see why you can hear why see hear why uh Susie is absolutely right for that rule Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely coming from a place of experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in in the play, uh, maybe you could you know tell our audience a little bit more about about um, sort of where, what what happens in the work. Um, and and you mentioned earlier, um, Lewis, that it's not set in in Pittsburgh. Um, and, it's uh, the one yeah, play. Yeah, one. The one, the play. one play. Yeah. It's is a Pittsburgh cycle that is not set in Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the plays are set in Pittsburgh or this one in Chicago, but there are echoes and memories of the South that are extremely important in all of his plays. Uh, this play takes place in a rundown recorded recording studio in Chicago. And uh, the way I designed the set is the recording studio and the band practice room are right next to each other. And as the band members go through those doors, it's almost they're going into another private world, separate, their own world, separate from the white world represented by the studio and in that private world they can share their memories they can laugh they can um, uh, they uh, they can cry uh, uh, and uh, uh, it can get uh, funny it can get extremely painful as these memories from uh, way back, sometimes even back to childhood, come forward. And uh, uh, in a way, we could all relate to it. If we, if you could relate to the concept of, uh, of PTSD, you could relate to the concept of uh, PTSD being 
forced upon black people uh, by white society. And that's, uh, and they're musicians, which makes it even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who, um, uh, who should be, uh, like, I mean, I know everyone, but I mean, specifically, who do you want to not miss this, uh, production? Um, uh, Ms. Butler and, and Lewis, given, given the, um, you know, the current climate, uh, of this country, um, if, you know, this particular play, you know, speaks to a whole lot, you know, because, you know, Ma Rainey was a woman who, you know, who had a, had a woman lover and, and, and she was really confident, self-confident and knew her worth and value, um, and and she was the leader in the in the ensemble. You know, the men worked for her. Um, you know, and it's just like, well, I can hardly wait to see you in this role, uh, Miss Butler, because wow, just just talking to you sounds like you know you really like you really occupy your space. You know, that's really awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that uh, yep. I think speaks to a lot of people and a lot of races. It speaks to, uh, especially with the climate in Amer- in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Washington D.C., uh, it speaks to um, a lot of uh, different people about how people were treated in this country and still are being treated. And I think that um, uh, African American community could get something from it, and um, also the white community can get something from it because they can see maybe they don't know a lot of people in this country. Uh, white people in this country are, are whatever color have been in this country less than two generations. They don't know what went on before, you know, so they have to know it too. They have to know what's going on. How, what yeah, happened before no- to say, why did we get to this place? Because they, they, they haven't been in this country that long, and they don't know. There's a moment in the play when one of the uh, actors is, one of the men is describing uh, uh a horrible experience that they had and another actor says you don't have to tell me I've been there before many many times hundreds of times and I think that line will resonate with lots of people especially um, uh, black men who have been stopped by police just by being black um, Uh, And we want people to understand it. The power of theater is the power to evoke empathy. And especially when there are live actors on the stage, so that when, when you see live actors suffering and it touches you closely, you walk out of the theater thinking, and that's our mission. Uh, and I, that was the mission of August Wilson when he wrote the Pittsburgh Cycle. Ten plays, one for each decade of the 20th century. He received uh, Tony Awards, Pulitzer Prizes, uh, and uh, uh, he is still missed. Um uh, the only other playwright that I love as much as August Wilson 
is William Shakespeare. Uh, and Wilson had the ability to put the language of his people uh, and to regularize it and poetize it uh, in much the same way that Shakespeare did. So when I direct Shakespeare, I say the goal is to make it sound like human talk. And uh, um, uh, August Wilson has the ability to make human talk echo like poetry. He's an amazing, amazing playwright. Mm, right, yeah. Well, I, I have my next guest is in the studio, um, so unfortunately we're going to have to conclude this wonderful conversation. Any any closing remarks, um, uh, Ms. Butler? Well, I or, hope that as many people as possible can come out and see it. I think they would be touched by it. I think they would, like, a, like Mr. Campbell said, it speaks to a lot of to people on a lot of different levels. So really get out and see this because it really will open your eyes to what, what's going on and what's still yeah. going on. Right, right. Any um, favorite Ma Rainey song that you can maybe give us a few bars bars of uh, as you leave the studio? Way down south in Alabama, I got a friend named a dancing Sammy. He know all the swellest dances, black bottom stuffing, two babies prancing. The other night at a swell affair, all the boys saw that I was there. They said, come on, Ma, let's go to the cabaret. When I got there, you ought to hear them say, you ought to see the dance you call the black bottom. I want to learn that dance. want to learn the dance you call your big black bottom. It'll put you in a trance and all the boys around the neighborhood said your black bottom is really good. I want to know the dance to call the black bottom. I want to learn that dance. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, wow. Nice, nice. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in the, in the, uh, at the uh, ACT costume shop. Um, what's the address there, uh, uh, Mr. Campbell? Eleven seventeen, eleven seventeen yeah. Market Street in San Francisco. Eleven yeah. seventeen okay. Market Street in San Francisco. Cross and six. My final Seven. words is to remind people to go to our website for tickets. We have met. dot org, and to get the discount, use the password. We have met MR. It brings the ticket price down from $35 to $15. It's good for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and Saturday of this week. Wow, that's a great discount. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, you take good care. I'll see you this. I'll see you Friday evening. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Your peace and blessings. Bye. Hi, Sherry Hill. How are you? Hello, Wanda. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fine. I am so sad. I'm gonna miss, uh, you know, your company, um, Irie. Is it Irie Dance? Um, what's yes. the uh, 
Okay, yeah. Your Irie Dance Company's uh, the Tente, um, or is the Tent? Because I know this is not English. Is is it? Is, is there a <laughs> they can't, they can't. They can't. There's lots I know of different pronunciations. Yeah. Detente, well, I want to say it the way you say it. Uh, Detente, Oakland premiere, like, I mean, I'm happy I saw the SERP, you know, as a part of <laughs> Black Choreographers Festival, this, you know, in February. Yeah. But, oh, my God, you know, fully fleshed out with, you know, uh, multimedia and then the film, Alice Street. It's going to be awesome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So. Audiences don't want to miss it. Um, Thursday, August twenty second through, uh, and Saturday, August twenty fourth, eight p.m. at Temescal Art Center, five eleven forty eighth Street in Oakland. Ten, just ten to twenty dollars. Like, oh my God! Sliding scale, yeah. and you can slide to zero if people don't have money. <laughs> it's like, wow, wow, that is so. Your work is so beautiful. I mean, you're just such a visionary. You know, to do a piece oh, around you. around displacement and gentrification. I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah, the time. Thank you, Wanda. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, we want to make it really affordable and accessible to the community mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm really excited that it's going to be in Oakland because when we premiered it last October, it was in Richmond, which mm-hmm. was fine, but. You know, Oakland for the last five to seven years has been hit very heavy and very hard with gentrification and displacement. And a lot of people, especially black folks and people of color, have been forced to leave. So I'm really excited that we get to bring this work to Oakland and want to make sure that it's accessible for anyone if they want to come, whether they have money or not, because I think it's really important for people to be able to see Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. And and this story is it's a personal story as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, I was I went through my own gentrification experience in 2016, the summer of 2016. And as an artist, you know, my life experience is always important to what I want to express and visions I'm receiving. So when I was going through the experience, it was actually pretty traumatic and hard to be dancing and moving, but I knew eventually that for me to be able to speak about what I was experiencing in my home and with the owner who had bought our apartment building and was just very oppressive and very intentionally trying to get everyone out so that they could hike up the rent, I knew that as part of my healing and as part of my connection to the community that I would eventually want to make a work, a piece of art and, and a dance. And, and so I have, and it's been a really interesting process. It, it was super hard in the beginning. I started working on it in December of 2017 and as part of the Black Choreographers Festival Artist Mentorship Project which was great to have that support, to have a mentor, and, you know, to have Laura Elaine Ellis and Kendra Kimball Barnes and their support to show the piece and get feedback. And um, it was the first time that I made something, I feel, that was so personally close as far mm-hmm. as trauma had to go. And, and so I was really 
thinking about how how to express this experience in a way that didn't seem to re-traumatize myself, but also that could display some of the emotions and the feelings <laughs> that I went through, and also how to connect it in a way that was not just literal, but also abstract, because dance in the body is so abstract already. And so really thinking about how the body was affected, how the body is affected by displacement physically, and also how the mind and the spirit are affected. And I was lucky to have two dancers who I've worked with for the last four years who have been part of my company, Andrina Maldonado and Rose Rothfeder, who also were there with me while I was going through this experience that oh. could join the piece, yeah, and, and could bring in their own stories of trauma and displacement from different just situations of the mind, and together, yeah, we could collaborate to make this work. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's really great that, you know, the three of you, you know, shared in the, the, the physicality of the, you know, the topic of, of this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's like sort of a body knowledge, huh? I mean, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, wow. That's not always the case. You know, it's sort of like, you know, people take roles that are really different from what they know and they could do a mm-hmm. good job. But mm-hmm. if you take a role that you actually have some emotional, um, and also maybe even tangible, part, you know, participation in, then that might add an extra authenticity or edge to the work, would you say? Definitely. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. does. And and I think people have commented on being able to feel that, being able to feel that we're really in the work and mm-hmm. being able to connect to it because we're so connected to it and mm-hmm. for me it's just it's really important in my in my process and all of my work it's really important that dancers have a connection to what they're dancing mm-hmm. about and sometimes like for this piece for me it was really explicit because I had gone through this process so um I I had the resonance in my body of how it felt, and I had stories I could tell through movement because of the experience. Mm-hmm. But other times, we also, you know, we write about situations. We find situations that connect to the theme that might not be a direct connection, but like for the, the mental part, you know, all of us have had experiences where we felt like we were losing our mind, <laughs> our mind was being displaced, where we've had, you know, times in our lives, we've had mental breakdowns. And so we went to one of those times and we wrote about it and we talked about it. And then we explored what that would look like with the body, how the body would react to that. And from there, we could connect the feeling of displacement of the mind to displacement in the piece. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in your work, you know, one of your signatures um, is, you know, sort of bringing in imagery, um, visual imagery, and being real specific around your music. 
um, and then you know, sort of being grounded in, you know, in the in nature, you know, whether that's you know in references to you know water or earth or sky or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's real sort of like those are some of your you know uh, sort of your your kind of stylistically, you know, people have come to know about your work. Um, And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, this particular production because you have some collaborators um, besides, you know, your, you know, dance partners um, in the work, which is going to make it even deeper. You know, I was thinking about, you know, Alahusta and and the director um, of um, Alice Street, yeah, Endangered Films Documentary, like, really? That's mm-hmm. what a name, right? Um, but yeah. it's so great that there is a document because Alice Street, yesterday I was on 14th and right at Joyce Gordon Gallery looking across at, I guess, Harrison, and there's this giant building. And they're like, mm-hmm. and the mayor of, of Oakland is, you know, being so happy that it's, I think it's like going to be as tall or almost as tall as the um, – that building in San Francisco that looks like a phallus. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, Salesforce, right, Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but have you seen that giant building that it's like where the old um, uh, parking lot used to be and the one side of it is over by the the um, post office on 13th and Alice and and the other side is on on 14th and, and, uh, and Harrison and it is so huge. I'm like, wow. It's a, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you blink and you don't know the city anymore, right? Right, yeah. Every time I feel like I go, yeah, there's something different <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, I'm really excited that we're showing Alice Street again. And, you know, there's been a lot of history that has to do with Alice Street and the Malanga Cascalore Center which used to be called the Alice Art Center back on Alice Street around, yeah, it's around, it's like 12th, I think, 14th. Um, and mm-hmm. it's great because this documentary was made while they were creating the mural that's across from the Malanga Cascalore Center that really showcases the history of artists, um, some of them who have been my teachers, you know, in dance and music and theater and it's just a beautiful, colorful mural that helps bring alive the art that's happening in that center. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of advocacy when, after that mural had been built because of the plans to build over there across from Malanga and to put in, I think they want to put in um, some kind of apartment building or something, some kind of high-rise mm-hmm. building. Uh, right yeah. in front of it, but there's this beautiful mural. So a lot of the community mm-hmm. got together and went to city council meetings and talked to council members and talked to the arts people to really save the mural. And so it's really great because I feel like to watch this documentary and to see some of my mentors talking about the importance of arts and culture in Oakland and the importance of preserving that and to see them out on the streets you know, advocating for that. And it just brings this sense of power that we have as a community to keep our culture, you know, as these 
new buildings are popping up and these new plans to really bring in um, different people into the city that I feel like it's a reminder that we still can get together, we still can unify, and we can make our voice heard. So it's a really great documentary. It's a short documentary that will lead before we do the work. And um, I'll also be giving an update of what's happening to the mural because it is being moved because that building is going into place. But through the advocacy efforts, we will not lose the mural, so that's great. Yeah, but how will you see it? Because right now, it's you know um, there there's a storm fence around that that parking lot where the building's going up, and and the building is right there next to the mural. So yeah, yeah. So it might not be covered, but you know, one won't be able to see it really yeah. easily. Right. Yeah, I mean, Where's it's like, it going to go. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah, I don't. I have to talk to the director to get the update, but mm-hmm. we will be talking about that at the show <laughs> on <laughs> next Thursday and Saturday. So if you come, you'll yeah. get you'll get the inner scoop of really like where is that mural going and what's happening to it and what stage it is. Right. Yeah, and I'll be in Virginia, yeah. so you have to have to I fill know. me I'll in. <laughs> I will. I will for sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Another. And- uh, com- I should say another community collaborator is Cause Adjusta, Just Cause, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited that, that a representative will be there too for the post-show discussion because it is so important when you're going through these crises, which I feel like, you know, eviction, displacement has so much stigma and so much stereotypes around it that I didn't even know because my own experience, like, had nothing to do with money, like not me not being able to pay my rent or me breaking any laws. It really had to do with just a greedy owner coming in and saying, because this is a rent control apartment building and I can't legally raise rent and get people out, I'm just going to harass people and threaten people until they don't want to live here anymore. You know, and I was just in shock when that started happening in my own personal experience, because I had never experienced anything like it. And unfortunately, the laws aren't put in place to really protect tenants. They're really put in place to protect home owners and uh, building owners. So to have organizations like Cause Adjust Adjust Cause, where you can go and you can find out about your rights and you can be connected to other advocates for housing rights is so important because I would have just felt really lost if I didn't have the opportunity to go into their offices, to talk to a worker, to be reassured that I wasn't doing anything wrong and to get support. So I'm really excited that they can be there and give us an update of what's happening as far as the housing crisis in the Bay Area and in Oakland right now, and also just like be a resource for people to know about their rights when it comes to housing. Mm, certainly, certainly. And then Casa Husta also, um, they are really great resources for people that are also um, uh, in in uh, sort of looking at, at 
at immigration um, laws connected mm-hmm. to housing and um, yeah. and not wanting to self-disclose because that might make them a target. They're really good advocates around that as well. Um, and given, yeah. you know, sort of where we are in, in California, you know, the Bay Area, that's really useful and helpful to know. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, is um, the um, – because you mentioned um, I'm looking at the um, – uh, what is it? The uh, brown paper tickets, um, which is really where there's a really nice – um, synopsis of of the work as well as bios for mm-hmm. everyone, and it says Imani uh, Copperich Smith, video artist. Yeah. Um, is that another person, um, or is that the director of Alice Street? So Imani is a video artist that did the filming and editing for the video in Detente. So okay, the piece has okay. dancing and video. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, she's a video artist that I worked with, and you had mentioned earlier, as part of my style, this you know sense of nature and connection to nature, which is really integral to my work, and that I just love because I just feel like we're all so connected to the earth that is holding us, and I mm-hmm. love to bring that into movement. And so we did shots in nature that have to do with the part of displacement of the mind and we mm. did some choreography in nature and, and I wanted to do it in nature because we also in the video have our faces painted to mm. represent ancestral presence and being mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why I chose that was because because we were really thinking about the mind and displacement of the mind and the, the mental sphere I wanted us to feel like we could be different from our everyday body and really tap into a different realm, more of the ancestral astral realm, and then be surrounded by nature, which is, you know, so supernatural and so powerful. So Imani did the filming for that and the editing for that. And we also have some shots of Oakland in the piece that she filmed as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you have housing again, right? What's that? You have housing presently. Yes, I do. Um, my my story ended up to be a better story. I mean, I'm not in Oakland anymore, but I, as part of this process too, just really had to go through a lot of reconciliation and a lot of meditation and really call on my ancestor spirits because I felt like, what are we going to do? Like we were being threatened and being sent these letters posted on our door about you have to leave in seven days, you have to leave in five days and like having to go to court. And, and I was like, you know, I have two children and my partner of 21 years. And I was like, we just can't get up and leave, especially right now with the market being so crazy um, for rent. So I, was able to look into home buying options and it was just really divine timing for me because I had two years prior gone to like a first time home buyers workshop with Operation Hope, which is a nonprofit organization, you know, um, and they have an office in Fruitvale that helps people with credit management, first time home buying, 
um, small business, like just lots of great resources. And so I had done that two years prior and had started mm -hmm. thinking about, I want to save for a home eventually, but really in my mind was like, yeah, and this is going to be like a five to 10 year process. But when this happened, I was like, oh my goodness, like I don't ever want to have to deal with this again. <laughs> like I don't ever want to have a landlord that can just come in and treat us the way they're treating us. So I was very blessed that, um, you know, Jaw just worked everything out that I was able to buy my first home in Richmond. So now I'm living there. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. I was wondering, um, sort of um, in closing, um, if you could maybe, because uh, you mentioned um, that was really beautiful, you know, we were talking about, you know, some of the story um, behind the movement. Um, if if you could talk a little bit about, like, for instance, if, if you, I don't know if you make a treatment for, for your for your work and that you have different scenes or sections as a part of the movement uh the entire movement i don't know exactly the language and how you how you conceive it or, or conceptualize it and i was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that like part one is this or part two is that and and then within that i was wondering um if stylistically if you could talk about sort of um you know the the stylistic uh, school that you employ in the work uh, for this particular mm -hmm. one, and and also some of the music. Like, what kind of music are you going to be rocking mm -hmm. in this work? Because <laughs> your music yeah. is always yeah. like such an <laughs> integral part of of the uh, of the piece. It's just like, oh, this, and then the costumes. Oh my goodness, and the lighting. It's all just so. It's just all like one big like. It's just a. It's just like a complete experience, you know, your your pieces mm -hmm. and even even where you have them set, there's intention around that too, like the way you choose your spaces, like you do this particular mm -hmm. work here because of, you know, what's in that particular space. It's not random at yeah. all. No. Yeah. Yes, I definitely can talk more. I yes, I do have sections. The piece has a few sections that really connect to different feelings of the piece. So the first section I call, um, we call it tracing body parts. And for me, it really represents the physicality of displacement. So in the process, we talked about what would it be like for, you know, your someone to take your torso and like remove it? What would it be like for someone to take your head and remove it? And so it's very... Fast. Um, it's very physical. There's a lot of heavy breathing, and there's a lot of sense of urgency. And there's only slight pauses where we get to rest. So by the end of the first section, we are in reality physically exhausted. And I wanted to do that because that for me was the physical experience I had. Like when you are fighting for your home and fighting to be able to stay in your home, you know, it's exhausting. Like, I was working full-time. I was leaving work and going to meet with lawyers in Oakland and then going to meet with the Alliance of California for Community Empowerment and being on their anti-displacement committee 
and advocating for other housing. So it was just like, and then also sometimes coming home and having threats on my door. It was just exhausting. So the first section is really that kind of feeling. And for me, it's almost like being on a train that just keeps going and going and going, and you don't know when it's going to stop or when your stop is or if you're ever going to get off. After that, we have a section that I call the, um, it has a lot of text about displacement and statistics about displacement, and it's kind of all jumbled and kind of all loud, and you can just hear like things like women are more likely to be displaced than men, blacks, Latinos are most more likely to be evicted than white, um, uh, families with more children are more likely to be displaced than families with less children. These statistics that are real um, American United States statistics from a Harvard study. And it's like kind of all jumbled and crazy and we're kind of all going crazy. And then it kind of soothes out into this section which I call the dream state. And I brought in the dream state because another part of my experience was that when you're in a mode of crisis, you aren't in a state of everyday reality. Like to me, it felt like really like I was in some kind of dream and sometimes a nightmare and I wanted to know when I was gonna wake up. <laughs> but I was waking up every day and living life, but you know, the state of feeling that was present for me felt like a nightmare. So we have a section I call the dream state. I do a solo that is more about me finding community, finding support, finding my inner power, really going, I went on an intense meditation retreat for like a week up in an ashram in Oregon to really ground mm -hmm. myself. And when I came back, that's when things started to align. That's when the housing situation started to change and I was getting good news. That's when the landlord started to back off. And so I interpret that in a solo and then we end the piece with more of a defiant section to Don Tripp, who's a trap artist, and it's called Dear Mama. And some of the lyrics in that song are, Dear Mama, there's a note on the door. It says, we have 30 days and we have to go. And, and so it really kind of explicitly in the music starts to talk about uh, these two children who are being forced out of their home and aren't sure what's going to happen. So that's kind of the gist of the piece. And the music is eclectic. There's music that's more electronic. Um, there's the text that has a lot of words in it. And there's like Don Tripp's trap song, which is more contemporary and rap. So um, yeah, it, it all, it's all about the, the, the theme. <laughs> And, you know, it all transitions really smoothly, but for me really encompasses this whole process that I experienced with the gentrification I had to go through. Right, yeah, yeah. So when you make these works, and particularly this one that's so personal, um, is it a way for you um, to, uh, to sort of... Um, I don't know, um, put the lid on the experience like it's done or <laughs> I don't know. Um, right. Yeah, to like really like put, I mean, of course you have the memory because you experienced it, but is it a way to 
separate from it, like in a real tangible way, um, mm-hmm. uh, because you have this 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 piece, this performance, and which is itself an entity, which is tangible. Uh, yeah, I was just wondering. It seems like the process, you know, having this work must do something around the healing from the experience. Um, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how you yeah. would phrase it. Yeah, definitely. I, I've asked myself those questions too, like the bigger question of, of what, like why do we need to do this kind of work? And mm-hmm. for me personally, I definitely do feel it's been very healing and I always feel good afterwards, which I don't completely understand why, because I would think sometimes, like mentally, I think, well, wouldn't I feel bad? Like, because sometimes I'm reliving some of these memories and thoughts and putting them in my body every time I do it. But I feel like there is something about being able to process a traumatic experience and being able to share it with others, both my dancers who were there on the floor dancing with me and the audience and community who's watching that brings in this bigger sense of healing or bigger power to heal and to process it in a way of just me like doing nothing or um, just moving on with my life. It, It wouldn't happen in that same way, you know, and, and it continues like we, like I said, I started this process in December 2017 and now it's August 2019 and I'm still doing the piece and, um, and I just feel like there's a reason for that, you know, and, and I don't know the exact words, but I know that people when they see it say these amazing things that they get from it and that they're able to relate to it. And I feel really good about doing it when I do it, even though it's hard. It's like, it's a physically hard piece, but I do feel really good about it. My dancers too, when we get done rehearsing, we're like, we feel so much better than we did when we came in here, you know? And I think that's part of the power of dance and and the body and the mind and the spirit being able to connect and being able to do something bigger than we know and can explain. So, yeah, it's definitely a healing process. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm really happy that, um, you know, this work is so timely and so necessary, unfortunately, and and for mm-hmm. you to be able to, you know, be able to, to share, you know, your personal story and then, and then bring in, you know, the film, which documents a period that no longer exists. And and some of the folks that mm-hmm. are in the in the film are ancestors now, you know, like Michael mm-hmm. Lange, and in the Malanga Cascalord. Every time we say the name of that edifice that used to be the Alice Art Center, we're, you know, we're pouring a libation to his work. You know, mm-hmm. that was ended so so tragically. You know, when he was killed on New Year's Day by a drunk driver, who is mm-hmm. walking free now because he had money. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like he didn't spend hardly any time in prison for his his acts of wow, you know, just miss Malanga wow. so much and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, so it's yeah, really, you it's know, just so wonderful. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how legacy 
will continue to live. You know, like how spirit continues to live and into future generations as well. Um, yeah, I feel really blessed to to be able to to do this work and to be able to bring people together to see it. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you do it a third time, and I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I have the pictures in the meantime. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> and I was wondering, um, in, in closing, if you want to give a shout out to your um, your mentor uh, at BCF. Um, Black Choreographers Festival here and now, and um, and then you were mentioning um, when you were uh, looking at the film uh, that you know so many of uh, you know your teachers and mentors that you know make the Malanga Center you know their their studio space you know where they teach and and you know and and sort of hold court. Uh, if you want to want to give any shout out to any of those folks, yeah, I'd love to shout out. Black Choreographers Festival, Laura Ellis, Kendra Kimbo Barnes, and also Reza Simpson, who really helped support the making of this work and the process. Um, also want to shout out the Bay Area Cash Grant and Clorox Company Foundation, who are providing grant support for the premiere in Oakland next week. And also just want to shout out Malanga Castle Lord Center and all the wonderful, amazing teachers there, you know, Naomi Washington, Alaseni, Sima, everyone who's really working, you know, Dimensions Dance Theater, um, that are just keeping the cultural alive and keeping dance going in Oakland, which is getting really hard, <laughs> actually. You know, we have very limited space. And Malonga Castellor Center is one of the spaces where we can still go and we can come together and dance and learn different cultures of dance and genres. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really grateful that that continues to be part of our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, Sherry, um, once again, congratulations on, you know, being able to you know, keep keep doing the work, you know, keep making this beautiful Thank art, you. keep telling these these important stories and uh yeah it's always a real pleasure you know to talk to you and to see your work even 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 in its um embryonic stage before it's a full long born <laughs> child which is now start you know walking and strutting and running uh even though I can't right. see that I I have pictures <laughs> that's all right and there'll be more there will be more mm-hmm work to see that I will definitely Uh, invite you to. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Like, wow, I could have come to Richmond. Like, I didn't know about that one. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. I think you did, but something had happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you always let me know. Do you have a website that people should should visit to keep track of what's happening? Yes, I do. Uh, mm-hmm. My website is iriedance.com, I-R-I-E-D-A-N-C-E.com, and you can find more info about my work there. Right, yeah, Iri, life, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Alrighty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have a wonderful rest of the day. Congratulations on your home, being a homeowner. That's nice. They can't push you out now, right? There's like, ah, yeah, no more landlords. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Wanda. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
and have a great oh, you're trip. Quite welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You have a good rest of the day and a wonderful week okay. next week. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye. So we're going to close the show with African Tapestry, Prayer for a Continent. Um, this is um, uh, Baba, uh, Baba Tunde Lee, um, and it's a really wonderful piece. And I just think, you know, sort of talking about the ancestors and uh, 400 years of African-American history. And, uh, yeah, I think it will be a great way to um, conclude this wonderful, wonderful show today. So thank you so much for joining us. Peace and blessings.